You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's world headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Back together again. Coming up, Ed, full earnings coverage. Of course, Netflix, it soars after posting its biggest subscriber growth since the pandemic. Details ahead. Plus, sticking with earnings, we'll break down the results from Europe's most valuable tech company and hear from the ASML CEO himself. And we push ahead to the results out after the bell and partake in a bit of a game of bingo. But this time, you'll have to listen in to the Tesla earnings call to win. All that and so much more ahead. Meanwhile, let's check in on these earnings and these markets because, look, we are seeing reprieve money pouring into the U.S. stock market on the back of technology managing to outperform in terms of earnings. Yes, we'll dig into Netflix in a moment. Nasdaq up more than 1.1% on the back of it. Now, interesting, we're all thinking about China, about whether or not stimulus is indeed to come. They signal that they will reduce those rates that are held by the banks. Reserve requirements are going to come down in the next couple of weeks. We see the stock market reaction. I'm highlighting what's happening on the Nasdaq Golden Dragon. At the moment, we're up 2.6% for the Chinese stocks. Now, we're seeing bond market pretty lackluster on the day, as we see some pretty strong data here in the United States. Move on and see what's happening in the world of Bitcoin, though, because what a torrid ride we've had of late. Yes, we seem to have travelled and arrived and now sell off, but today we're actually up again 2%. We're at 40,000, holding at that sort of level at the moment, Ed. But let's dig into the micro. What's happening on your end? Yeah, a lot going on in single names, specifically in the earnings context. Texas Instruments is the biggest maker of analog chips. It gave a sales outlook that frankly makes us worried that the slump in industrial semis is continuing. These are the most basic chips that do vital functions, and that stock down 2.4%. ASML, Europe's most valuable tech company, these are the European-listed shares. Its orders tripled in the quarter just gone. The share reaction, obviously positive, up 9%. We will hear from the CEO in June course. Tesla after the bell up 1.4%, but it's been the biggest points drag on the S&P 500 so far in 2024. The focus, how many EVs are going to build this year? And rounding it off, Microsoft, by the way, up 1%. I just put it there because as it stands, it's just tr uh, crossed once again the 3 trillion market cap mark. That's more of a, a public service announcement on that one. <laughs> Meta has hit a key milestone, though, and it's a stock that's really interesting ahead of earnings. Its gain has taken its market 
market cap to $1 trillion for the first time in around two years. We're past the year of efficiency. That's in the rearview mirror. Earnings coming up. We have a mixed narrative right now about the ad space. But finally, this is a stock starting to get some credit, I think, for its AI story. We'll come back to that later in the program and later in the week as well. Meanwhile, we've got to get straight to it, Ed, on what is dictating trade, certainly in terms of the direction of travel for the Netflix move and indeed the Nasdaq more broadly. Shares popping after those companies' numbers. We really did see the biggest jump in new subscribers since the pandemic. We've got to dig into the details. Gita Raganathan's with us from Bloomberg Intelligence. And we were blown away by subscriber growth and indeed by seemingly the advertising juggernaut really starting to pay off now. Is that what's working? I mean, everything seems to be working, Caroline. So obviously, yes, we did see those huge subscriber numbers. And I think what really is kind of giving the street and the market so much of confidence in this whole story is that you have all of these growth drivers in place. Yes, you know, their advertising tier has kind of kicked off. It got off to a little bit of a slow start. But remember, they only have it in about 12 markets. So it really has to kind of gain much greater traction. And they're, they're going to do exactly that. They've invested now in, you know, this whole raw programming deal. Uh, so we should start... The, uh, start to see the advertising tier kind of become much more material in revenue uh, starting at least in 2025. But as of right now, it's the page sharing, it's the password sharing crackdown that is kind of really, really working and working very well. And it wasn't just the 4Q results, it's, it's the guidance for 2024 that kind of, I think, blew everybody away. All right, Gita Ranganathan, Bloomberg Intelligence Technology Analyst, thank you so much. Let's keep the conversation going with Rich Greenfield, Partner in Media and Technology Analyst at Lightshed Partners. And Rich, when I went through the, the, the numbers more deeply, there's the 13.1 million new subs, but 5 million of those came from the EMEA region. So it's interesting. What do you think are those drivers, those growth drivers that Gita was talking about? I mean, you have a few sort of what I would call the perfect storm you think about what's happening right now, Ed. One, obviously, all of the companies, the legacy media companies, whether we're talking Disney or Warner Brothers Discovery or Paramount or Comcast, like they're all pulling back on their streaming efforts. You know, they've all sort of shifted into let's cut costs, let's raise the price, let's cut back on marketing. And so the competitive landscape for Netflix is far less intense than it was. You know, I think we had this brief period of time during the pandemic where everyone in legacy media, cable network, media world thought like getting into streaming was easy. Now they're realizing it is really hard. The markets are no longer paying for subs. They want to see profitability. So they're all pulling back. So number one, competition is lessening for Netflix. Number two, you know, I think the reality is that Netflix investing in lower costs here, you know, getting out in advertising, having a lower cost service is making a very big difference. And then I think three, one of the amazing things that you're in right now is as the legacy media companies pull back on their own streaming efforts, they're seeing their legacy businesses, cable, television, really under pressure. They're licensing more content. You know, just last night you saw Warner Brothers Discovery's HBO licensing Sex in the City to Netflix. Like everything is for sale. And so the amount of content flowing onto Netflix is exploding. We've really come full circle. It's like back to the future day. Like, remember a few, five years ago, everything was on Netflix from third party companies. Yeah. Now, then there was nothing. And now we're really right back to it. We're back to that, you know, the, the heroin needle is back in the arm. Like they can't get off of the drug of, of licensing content to Netflix. They need it for survival right now. And so Netflix is in this position where they've got more content than 
ever before, and the competitive dynamic is less than in years, and they've got a cheaper service with advertising to offer to consumers. That perfect storm yeah. is why Netflix had their second best net ad quarter in the company's history. Okay, so Incredible. Rich, what therefore is priced in? Before we get into basically what seems to be a bit of a bloodbath in the rest of the competitive landscape, what about the leadership position that Deutsche Bank at the moment is saying is fully priced into the stock at these levels? Is it how much further can we run? The internet is generally winner take most. I was just listening to um, one of your colleagues talk about, you know, Meta getting back to a trillion dollar market cap. You know, we, th there is, I think, tremendous room to run. You know, Netflix is still, you know, you're still looking at a company that there's no reason why they can't add hundreds of millions of subscribers. I mean, the fact that they added 13 million subscribers in a quarter. I mean, they're now at 70 million subscribers in the U.S. Um, you know, I think people not too long ago thought the U.S. was tapped out. Now they're growing the U.S. nicely again, and you know, I think all signs point to them getting to 80 to 90 million subs over time. Europe, you mentioned, there's huge growth opportunities in Europe. So I think the reality is now that they have a lower-cost product, and they're, you know, they have an advertising tier in markets that represent 80% of ad dollars worldwide. So there's tremendous potential to accelerate growth. I don't think the growth story is over at all, and I think the most important thing to think about is as that competitive yeah. dynamic eases, that's going to fuel Rich. Netflix. And the real question should be, what happens to all these other companies, whether it's Disney or Warner Brothers or Paramount? Well, Rich, we discussed that 24 hours ago in the context of the WWE deal, right? It answers all of the points you've just made in that it's uh, raw in the U.S., but exclusivity on all the other properties outside the U.S., Where's Disney and ESPN? I don't see them doing deals like the one which surprised us between Netflix and, and TKO. The reality is these companies can't compete. You know, they just don't. They're trying to balance their legacy media assets. So whether that's cable networks or linear broadcast TV networks and TV stations, they're all trying to balance. And so the result is as those businesses, which are very profitable, decline, they don't have the same dollars to invest in streaming. And so they're all scaling back. And so the real question that I think we should be asking, you know, we've got all of the major media companies reporting over the next couple mm -hmm. of weeks, and I'm sure you're going to be discussing it, you know, Ed and Caroline. The, the question is, why are you still doing streaming? Like, should you just give up? Like, is there a path to building a scaled global streaming platform that really makes meaningful dollars? Or are you kidding yourself and you're sort of just in that denial phase? And I think that's the real sort of, you know, if you think about what's going on in boardrooms right now, you woke up this morning and you're like, holy cow, they added 13 million subs. They're already at this massive scale and they're growing at multiples of how fast we're growing. They're investing more. We're cutting back. Like, why are we doing this? Should we be in the Peacock business? Should Paramount Plus exist? We believe no. How soon do these executives figure out what we believe they should do? If we don't hear at this earnings, and we do still see the fight on when it comes to more broadly the world of streaming, is now Netflix basically a global TV? Has it already got that rich? It, it feels, Carolyn, like you've hit escape velocity. I mean, it really feels that way. Um, now, I will say there's probably a time five, you know, pre-pandemic, I think there was a point in time where people felt the same, including myself, about Netflix. 
And then everyone called into question because they saw what was happening during the pandemic where everyone, you know, Disney Plus exploded and Max, HBO Max, when it was called that at the time, was exploding. And I think everyone got very excited that this was easy to replicate. I think now you're, they're all realizing that they are not capable. They don't have the resources, technical knowledge, the commitment to the business. And so I do feel like Netflix is at that escape velocity. And I think the only question is how much money are these big media companies going to torch on streaming before they realize this is just not what they do well. They actually just make great content and they should focus on harvesting as much cash out of that business and not try to be a platform. That's probably where we end up by the end of 24 with several of these companies. They're just going to have to give up. Rich Greenfield, always great to have some time with you. Lightshed Partners, we thank, thank you. you. This is not your typical victory speech, but let's not have somebody take a victory when she had a very bad night. This race is from over. There are dozens of states left to go. Former President Trump and fellow contender Nikki Haley there. After the results came out, of course, Bloomberg's Kayleigh Lyons was all across them in the real time. You're now coming to us from Manchester, New Hampshire, the morning after the primary to give us basically the details on the vote and also how the internet technology is intertwined into all of this. Well, Caroline, the details of this vote were Trump won by a double-digit margin, maybe not the margin we expected going into primary day, but by 11 points, so not necessarily the strong second-place showing that Nikki Haley and her supporters were looking for. Nonetheless, she says she is going to stay in this race, go to the next real contest that she wants to compete in, her home state of South Carolina, where she served as governor. That primary is on February 24th. The issue is she's pulling more than 30 points below Trump in her home state, and over the course of the next four weeks, a Attacks against her in South Carolina and elsewhere could only intensify, as will likely calls from the Republican establishment to fall in line behind Trump, as he is at this point the presumptive Republican nominee. Of course, this tees us up, given Haley's very difficult road ahead, very hard to see how she has a path to the nomination for a rematch of the 2020 election, Donald Trump versus incumbent President Joe Biden. Now, the Biden campaign seems like it's welcoming this development. They have always wanted to have a general election against uh, former President Trump because Biden has beaten him once before, obviously, in 2020. But, of course, Biden was, in some ways, not officially on the ballot here in New Hampshire as well. The Democratic Party, together with the president, have decided that the first primary should be in South Carolina, not here in New Hampshire. So he was not on the ballot. Instead, there was a write-in campaign for him here, while other candidates, like the Democratic congressman from Minnesota, Dean Phillips, were actually on the ballot. De Biden won, though, in a decisive victory, really historic for a write-in campaign, more than 70 percent of the vote, while Dean Phillips got around 20 percent. What was interesting, though, guys, and this relates to your program here on Bloomberg Technology, is right before the primary, a robocall AI generated with the voice of Joe Biden was making phone calls uh, to voters here saying to hold their vote until November, essentially encouraging them not to go out and write in the name of the president. We asked the Congressman Dean Phillips about that a few days ago when that news broke. He didn't know anything about who was behind the robocall, but he did say we need to be thinking really critically about deep fakes in this election cycle. And he he does not think President Biden has done enough at this point to address it, guys.
and therein lies a key technology story for this election cycle. Bloomberg's Kayleigh Lyons on the ground. Terrific reporting. Thank you. Let's stick with politics and that AI story this election cycle. CrowdStrike President Michael Santonis joins us now to discuss how generative AI could affect the upcoming election and how his company views election security off the heels of yesterday's New Hampshire primary. The deep fake is one example of uh, malicious, let's call it malicious content that circulates on social media. In the early forays of this election cycle, what is the volume of activity you are seeing in that use case and others? Yeah, thanks for having me. Look, I think it's going to be uh, an interesting year. There's over 40 countries that are, are voting this year. Uh, the problems that you're talking about this morning are a growing issue. And I think in a lot of ways, it's what we're going to see. There's been so much talk over the years about uh, voting systems and, you know, probably too much uh, being put into that area because we do have to think about deep fakes. We have to think about disinformation campaigns. And ultimately, what it's going to come down to is the average voter is going to really struggle to understand what's real, what's not. And they're going to have to do a lot of work to make sure that they're not making decisions on who to vote for that maybe is based on incorrect information. Audio deepfakes, actually something we saw in Slovakia's parliamentary election already. So something that's coming and unfolding. How much are, well, governments, most front and centre, social media companies, managing to brace for this? Because it can't all just be left in the hands of a consumer to try and work out real from not. Well, it can't be left to the consumer, but the problem is that it's very easy for a consumer to create this content. Uh, what was once a, a very technical uh, thing to do is now a few thousand dollars, and you can go and get a, a very good, capable graphics card in the system. You can get some instructions, and you can build your own deepfake. You can build the voiceover. You can build a, a video. So the challenge is we're going to see a lot of this content in volumes that we've never seen before created by the average person. So it's going to be something that everyone's going to have to step up to address, whether it's governments, whether it's the social media sites. Um, it's something that uh, should be a concern to everybody because it's going to really sway decisions that people are making because it's just so easy to create this content today. Absolutely fascinating. And of course, this isn't just the only election that's on the books here worldwide. Plenty to be cracking down on. CrowdStrike President Michael Santonis, we want to thank you so much for joining us today, and I'm sure we may well be returning for your expertise in the future. Meanwhile, look, a group of senators from both sides of the aisle is ramping up calls for creation of a federal agency to regulate the technology industry. As is concerns surrounding the risks of AI, as we discuss, they continue to grow. Now, the group wrote a letter urging Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to establish an agency dedicated to regulating the nation's largest tech companies. Ed. Right, it's coming up on the program. ASML says it's seeing some pretty positive signs in sales growth as the chip-making equipment industry bottoms out. Bloomberg TV caught up with its CEO and we will bring you that conversation next. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. 
And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. It's time for Talking Tech. And first up, Washington state legislators are at the center of a growing debate regarding artificial intelligence regulation. House Bill 1951 hopes to place restrictions on how businesses and government agencies can replace human decision making with AI. However, big tech lobbyists argue that the bill is flawed. And Apple is hitting the brakes on its plans to bring a self-driving car to market. Bloomberg's reporting that the company is now shifting its focus toward building an electric car with more limited features. With the latest changes, the company is looking to introduce the car in 2028 at the earliest, down from 2026. Plus, ASML CEO Peter Wenick tells Bloomberg TV that the generative AI boom needs his company's technology to compute and store data. The Dutch chip maker benefited from strong demand from China last year. Shares today at an all-time high. Caro? Extraordinary share reaction, extraordinary set of numbers. And you're just talking about the SML performance. We actually spoke with the CEO, Peter Wenick, a little bit earlier. He sat down with Bloomberg's Tom McKenzie and really laid into the clarity of China and artificial intelligence. Take a listen. 90% of our business in uh, China has to do with mature technology. And that's the technology that we need for all the major transitions. You know, if you think about energy transition, the uh, electrical vehicle transition, digitization, rollout of uh, the smart grid, uh, 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 you know, life sciences, it's all mature technology. That's where the masses are, yeah? So what is your message to those in Washington, lawmakers in Washington, lawmakers in The Hague even, who are pushing to expand those restrictions beyond the most cutting-edge lithography machines, to expand those restrictions on the sale of lithography to China? Well, you know, I have full respect for national security concerns. That's not the point. But I think we need to take into consideration that this chip industry has created an almost seamless ecosystem across the globe that has given us massive advantages in terms of innovation and cost reduction. So that's from an economic point of view. We need to make sure that that economic uh, system that we have created, which has given us so much benefit, that we keep that intact. Uh, it's not about national security. Mm. It's about making sure that innovation uh, can keep going. 
You are, you're stepping down in April. Does your successor at least have to war game the possibility, the scenario where ASML has to operate in a global market X China? Well, you know, uh, I don't know whether he's war gaming. I don't think he's a gamer, to be very honest. You know, we'll just have to deal with the reality. But I also, you know, I'm an, I'm an optimist that worries a lot, uh, and I do believe that uh, we have created, uh, you know, uh, uh, macroeconomic systems that are so dependent on each other that um, I think that is a, a scenario you can always put into a into a game. But I don't think that's a very realistic one. You do not have generative AI without ASML. It's as simple as that. Without your extreme ultraviolet lithography machines. How much demand are your clients saying they are seeing for chip making equipment to generate those kind of AI chips? Well, let me first of all say that I think the full extent of what AI could bring is not totally clear because it's all about the applications. Yeah? Uh, and that still needs uh, to develop. But one thing is absolutely sure. It's, it's going to need massive amounts of compute power and storage, data storage. So I think um, without um, uh, ASML without our technology, that's not going to happen. So it's, it's, it's very clear that it's going to be a big driver going forward for our business and the business of our customers. That was ASML CEO Peter Wenning, the chip equipment maker, Europe's most valuable tech company. Let's get a quick check on these markets then. Now let's just dwell on some of the record highs that we're hitting today. Because in amongst some of the strong economic data, we're still deciding that tech names are going to outperform, particularly from the Magnificent Seven that have already rode so high already. Look at Meta. I see above $1 trillion market capitalization. We are riding high on Meta. Alphabet also at a new record high as well. Microsoft above $3 trillion. We also, though, want to shine a light on what's happening with Tesla. Will those earnings manage to, well, incentivize some of the investors to come back to that name because remember it's one of the most expensive out there on the Magnificent Seven and the worst performer of late Ed. Yeah, I think in the earnings context, EPS is forecast to drop 38% year on year, a very different story with the other six. So Tesla is reporting earnings after the closing bell today. We're going to spice things up a bit in terms of how you react to those results with a game of bingo from the Elon Inc. podcast team. Joining us to explain the methodology, the science behind this masterpiece, <laughs> co-host of the Elon Inc. podcast, Bloomberg's Max Chafkin. I'm going to go straight to something that you've shortchanged the global audience on, which is you put prototypes are easy, production is hard, in two separate squares. You and I both know that that comes in one sentence. Listen, as Bloomberg's chief bingo scientist, I can tell you that you know a bingo card needs to have some gimmies and some that are much less likely to hit. You're right. I, 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 it will be very surprising if Elon Musk did not say prototypes are easy, production is hard. Of course, in reference to the difficulty manufacturing the Cybertruck, Tesla's new pickup truck. A lot of these are fun. A lot of these are, you know, at one point you're saying whether he's going to audibly uh, take a toke. But what is crucial for an investor base here? What are the words that you think will come out of his mouth that might inject some enthusiasm or, or create further route? So, you know, as Ed said, we're, we're trying to have a little fun with this and also participating in what is really like a time-honored tradition for both Tesla bulls as well as critics. You know, uh, lots of investors, lots of commentators have made their own bingo cards. You can find them on Reddit. So we wanted to kind of join in the fun. Um, I think in terms for investors, it sounds strange to say, but Elon Musk's mood is very important. You know, 
know, he is one of the most accessible CEOs, probably the most accessible CEO in the world. He talks all the time, continuously. He doesn't hold back, as we often discuss. And so how he describes these numbers is probably just as important as the numbers that he describes. Do we get a, a, a sad Elon, a dour Elon, a pessimistic Elon, or do we get a, an optimistic Elon? And I think that will ultimately uh, decide how investors react to, to what happens later today. Investors want to hear what demand is like, but also the dojo, the supercomputer, the AI, the robotics question. Now, this is something we're starting to hear from Elon Musk, that he might well just take that kind of technology elsewhere if he is not recompensing the way he wants to be by Tesla. Are we going to hear any pushback on his own board again? Well, that, that should be very interesting. And, and the idea that, you know, Elon Musk, of course, he's very unconventional, but the idea that he's asking for what amounts to a massive pay raise at the same time, you know, essentially making a threat or at least a veiled threat, as you said, to take his AI expertise elsewhere, it's kind of staggering, especially given that for, for a couple of years now, he's been emphasizing that AI is sort of core to Tesla. And That's why the, the share rose more than right, 100%. Exactly. The whole, the whole bet here, especially for Tesla bulls, is that this company is going to operate a robo-taxi fleet, will eventually build a supercomputer, Dojo, as you say, which I believe is N1 on your bingo card uh, <laughs> if you're playing at home. And and so so that, so that it, it is a bit of a head-scratcher. Um, you know, on the other hand, he does have some leverage here because, of course, he has these other companies that are also doing AI stuff, X most notably. And so there is, in some sense, a credible threat uh, to Tesla investors. And, uh, you know, as we've seen, the Tesla board has generally gone along with whatever Elon Musk asked for. So, so you know, he'll, he'll probably feel emboldened. The beauty of this bingo board and card is that it means different things to different people. So the basics for Wall Street are, will Tesla reiterate its 50% compound annual average growth for 2024? In other words, will they say they're on track to build 2.5 million EVs? But for that like Tesla owner fan retail audience, look at the top right square, full self-driving. And what's so interesting in the last 24 hours or so is they brought up version 12 of FSD beta, and there's so much chat about it, you know, how do you think that will be distinguished, Max, between the Tesla fan, the Elon Musk supporter, the retail investor, and legacy Wall Street that sometimes just focuses on the fundamentals, should we call it? So, uh, you know, I would argue that the full self-driving promise is very important to everybody. Of course, there are, there are, as you say, Ed, some analysts who are much more focused on these kind of, the question of margins, and I think, you know, basically, how many people want to buy Teslas and what are the margins? Those are the two most pressing questions, but how Elon Musk himself is sees self-driving. Is it is it something that's going to happen next year? As he always said, you know, it basically seems like every year he says it's coming next year. It hasn't come yet. It's been a source of uh, continual disappointment and criticism. But to, to, to watching to see if he ever pulls back from that promise, I think that would have huge effects on not just on demand, not just on like uh, car buyers, but also on how investors think about this stock. Because again, so much of the value is about the future and the promise that Elon Musk has, you know, been reiterating year after year after year that this is going to be more than a car company. Well, Max Strafkin, it is a beautiful bingo card. And we thank you for being our chief scientist of bingo cards in residence. And Ed, what have you got coming up on the world of Elon? Well, look, uh, while I was at CES in Las Vegas earlier this month, I had to take the opportunity to take a ride in one of the Tesla vehicles that's operating in Elon Musk and Boring's Vegas Loop. Here's how it went. 
This is the Vegas Loop, a 1.7-mile series of tunnels under the Las Vegas Convention Center made by Elon Musk's Boring Co. During CES 2024, we took a ride in one of the Loop's Tesla Model Ys. I jumped in at the Central Station, riding to West Station and then on to Rivera Station and Resorts World before circling back without getting out. It took me about 15 minutes to do that loop. Top speed in the straight parts of the tunnel was 40 miles per hour, with an average of 30. When things got congested, 15 miles an hour. There were no crazy wait times with the full fleet of Teslas deployed. It got busier around lunchtime, but lines were minimal. The ride can be bumpy at times in certain sections, but if you're going to walk from West Hall to North or Central Hall, that could take you 25 minutes. It takes just two minutes in the loop, and within the LVCC, it's free. The system's designed to carry more than 4,400 convention goers an hour in the Teslas. In the future, there's a plan for special vehicles that carry 12 people. Boring's also planning an expansion of 68 miles of tunnels with 93 stations across the Vegas Convention Center and, of course, the Las Vegas Strip. By the way, if you're claustrophobic, this is not the future travel technology for you, Caroline. Uh, it's limitations still, Ed. Meanwhile, coming up, look, how creative, more creative startups, uh, how can they avoid a lower valuation? We'll discuss all that next. Meanwhile, look, there are more earnings coming thick and fast, not just Tesla, ServiceNow, IBM after the bell. IBM currently trading down to tens of percent, but the market is uh, looking pretty buoyant, looking in anticipation of cash flow coming back on and also any of AI service now up 2.2%. Current remaining performance obligations are projected to rise 20, almost 21%. We'll see how they manage to perform after the bell. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.
let's just talk about the environment for startups. It's been a tough one. Typically, though, of course, they depend on serial infusions of funding from backers to get through their early years. And so a so-called down round, basically raising money at a lower implied valuation than before, it's a big black eye. So lately, companies have gotten kind of creative to try and avoid being considered less valuable. I want to bring in Bloomberg's Emma Palmer, who's just written a key story on all of this. And how inventive, and ultimately, how ignoring of their own investors are they becoming? Yes, yeah, so it's become, as you mentioned, a very challenging environment. So companies have been a lot more reticent to let their own shareholders know what's happening inside their company. And so what that means is those shareholders struggle to value and mark these companies in their books, and that has a whole trickle-up effect to their investors and the ones even above them. There's an interesting element of your story, which is the secondaries market. And it's interesting partly because Caroline and I have been really focused on it mm -hmm. in recent weeks. But think about the mechanics of how it works in terms of employee liquidity and what you do or don't have to share in terms of financials while also not having to offer new equity. Precisely. So the secondary market has gotten very interesting as a lot of investors don't have a way to typically get out those few IPOs, there's fewer M&A. So you're seeing the secondary market be the place people turn to to get liquidity and especially employees who are common shareholders um, and maybe looking for some cash on hand. But that's becoming more and more challenging because if people don't know what's happening at the company, if they don't have access to financials, they don't know how to price these things. So if a buyer is interested. They don't know how they should value this company, how, what bid they should offer. If Should it be a 20% discount or an 80% discount? And they may not be able to get through their due diligence. And so sellers as well too may not have that insight, especially if they're lower in, this, in the cap table. All right, Bloomberg's Hema Palmer, thank you. Now, speaking of startup valuations, here's one that just doubled. Built Rewards is the app that rewards consumers on their rent, just raised a $200 million round led by General Catalyst and pushed the company's valuation to $3.1 billion. That's a big valuation. The New York-based startup plans to use some of that money to expand its rewards network to include small restaurants, grocery stores, dry cleaners, and other local merchants. And by the way, as someone that rents and is trying to find a house to buy in the Bay Area, good luck. Uh, this is an interesting concept. Let's bring in CEO Anka Jane for more. Uh, Anka, welcome to the program. Thanks for having uh, me. Let, let's start with the round and get that done. You know, sure. big chunk of change, big valuation, but why did you do it? What, why did you need that cash? Oh, the nice thing about the way we've been raising capital at Pelt is we've never actually raised cash in a moment where we needed money, right? And so the company today is profitable. And that's allowed us to be more strategic. And instead of just going out and doing a fundraise, this was really more about partnerships. And so what we've been so lucky to have happen today is we brought in Ken Chenault, who was the CEO of American Express for years. He built membership rewards and this merchant ecosystem. Join us. And as I think you probably know, after he left American Express, he joined General Catalyst, where you know, he is also their lead investor. And so part of this round is really about aligning interests bringing in Ken as a partner in the business. Uh, and then a lot of this can be used for you know, things like share buybacks. You were talking about secondaries. One of the benefits of being a profitable company is you can focus on long-term while still giving investors early liquidity opportunities. Is it going to change you having a co-branded MasterCard 
if you've now got an Amex. No, so remember, Built, well, this is the thing, right? So Built's business, we are the payments and rewards platform for rental apartments across the country. So people get rewarded with rent payments, no matter how they pay. Check, cash, ACH payments, Amex, Visa, MasterCard. I think what's so exciting now, though, is you're not just getting points on rent you're also earning in your neighborhood. And I think mm. this is one of the most exciting. There has never been. So you're not gonna change your own co-branded market? No, we have a co-brand card. I think that's, we're really excited about that. But I think the platform going from home and rewarding you on your biggest expense rent to now building that neighborhood loyalty and allowing these local restaurants, mm. grocery stores, coffee shops to say, here's how you reach people in your local apartment buildings. Here's how you reward them for coming in regularly. That can be a game changer. And talking of games, you've also got Roger Goodell joining, I mean, yes. NFL. It's all about building loyalty. So remind us how you're getting paid, because people are yes. coming onto your board and giving you money because you've got a really strong revenue stream here. You are yes. taking a cut of each of these purchases? So this is, yes, the short answer is yes. And I think what's so exciting is we didn't have to reinvent the business model. We had to build the ecosystem, right? Loyalty programs exist in airlines and hotels. They make money from their merchant partners when they drive spend. They make money from their co-brand cards. What we've also done in addition to that is build the biggest payment processor for rent payments on top of that. And so you allow yourself to be profitable and generate revenue from how people spend on rent, when you help drive spend to local merchants, when people use your co-brand card. And that ecosystem together is really what makes this unique and different. Uh, Anchor, I've got, I've got to go back to the rent issue. I mean, yes. for so many people, paying rent is painful, right? You, you, you oh, kind of get, view it as a futile exercise where there's no equity reward. You don't get any of the tax benefit of owning right. a home and paying or deducting the mortgage interest. It's crazy. Um, but what, it's crazy. But what is the market for it, right? Is there a clear demographic in the customers that, that came yeah. to you and said, yeah, I like this? Is there a geographic concentration? Yes. You know, the, so first, the, the market here in SF and New York is well known. It's a great question. Renters are all over the country. I think what's important to understand is most built members are in that 21 to 35-year-old demographic. You're at this point in your life where buying a home, isn't, it's not just about affording a home. You're at a point in your career where you're moving around. You want the flexibility. You're living in San Francisco. Then you move to Chicago or Atlanta or Dallas or, or Denver, right? The problem, like you said, is that historically you haven't gotten anything back for paying rent every month. And so with Built, you earn those points, which you can convert into airline miles and hotel points. But as you might remember when we came on here a few years ago, one of the things we spent 18 months working with Fannie, Freddie, and FHA on is to allow people to use points towards a down payment on a home and use your rental payment history to build your credit and help you qualify for a mortgage. So what's exciting about that is you pay your rent at any apartment with Built using any credit card, debit card, or bank, right? And then as you build your points balance, you're also building your credit history. So if you decide to then buy a home when you're ready, you have a head start. I'm interested, very briefly, on ultimately how you continue to expand and is it about talent right now? The money you said you raised didn't need to, fortunately, but where do you put it to work right here, yeah. right now? So I think there's two different parts of this expansion that's really exciting. Today we have over 50% of the top 50 residential owners and operators already in the Built Alliance. I think now we have an opportunity to really scale across the long tail of the multifamily, but we've also now expanded into providing rewards on single-family homes. Mm. 
condos. We just rolled out our first set of condos here in New York with Douglas Elliman and mortgage servicing. So even homeowners can start to participate in this rewards platform for paying their mortgage and being in their neighborhood. So that's one part. And then the second part, which I think is, again, it takes time and it's, you know, this is what American Express and Visa and MasterCard have done is bring in all these local merchants and say, look, we can be a plug and play neighborhood loyalty platform for you. Here's a way to reach people when they move in. I mean, people don't realize 50% of renters move out every single year. Mm. So all those new people moving into the neighborhood, we make it really easy for you to reach those customers, introduce your local restaurant, and give them rewards and benefits as a local, the person who's most likely to come in on a Monday evening, the person who's likely to come in two, three times a week. I think that is a powerful uh, ecosystem and community we can build. Built Rewards CEO, Anchor Jane, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for calling Jersey Mike's. How can I help you? Uh, what time do you close today? We close today at 10 p.m. Can I help you with anything else? Sandwich chain Jersey Mike's jumping into the world of artificial intelligence today. The company announcing a partnership with Soundhound AI to add state-of-the-art voice AI ordering. CEO Kava Mahaja, Soundhound uh, CEO, joining us now. Uh, this is a big deal. How many stores? Where? When? How? Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, we, uh, we are very excited about the announcement. Um, they have about Jersey Mike's has about. Uh, a little over 2,500 locations. Usually brands like this start with one or two uh, before they expand, but we are starting with 50, which is great. Um, and we are starting the year with uh, over 10,000 live locations across multiple brands and over 100,000 locations in our pipeline. Kayvan, what is competition like for you now, given the world has suddenly embraced generative AI? Uh, so Soundhound has uh, three pillars of business. In the first pillar, we provide a branded AI assistant to products like cars and TVs, IoT devices. In the second pillar, we have AI customer service for businesses like restaurants and, and beyond. And in the third pillar that's coming in the future, we bring them together. So while you're driving, you can order food by talking to your car instead of talking to the restaurant, which uh, brings our um, pillar two customers to our pillar one, uh, the users of pillar one uh, customers. Uh, so something changed last year. Generative AI and large language models really changed the landscape. Uh, Sandhan is 18 years old. We've been uh, developing the core technology in conversational AI for almost two decades. Uh, but when large language right. models change the landscape, it really accelerated um, um, our path to adoption. Um, and competitors, the big tech players, have to build their own large language models. So it right. takes them a couple of years. And then the smaller hey, companies... Kayvon. Yeah, we, we just have 10 seconds left. This is an exclusive deal, or you phone in Jack in the Box and Wendy's next? Uh, it's not exclusive. We are in 25, over 25 brands already. Um, and uh, like Wendy's, uh, no, I'm sorry, not Wendy's, uh, White Castle. And uh, that's the one we've announced. Um, and we can also power smaller uh, brands, like you can be a single location sandwich shop and we can use our AI. Kayvon, great having some time with you. Come back, Soundhound AI CEO Kayvon Mahoja. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.